Last week I started a series that's going to be continuing into next week on our vision, our mission, and our values. And we had a wonderful time last week as we talked about the vision of our church, which we recognize has changed from what it was several years ago because the personality of our church has changed, the giftings of our church has changed, which allows us uh, the opportunity to stay in touch with what God is wanting us to do. And the theme of last week was pursuing our vision, and we understood that our vision matches the heart of God as it relates to the pursuit that He has of every heart. Our vision is that locally to globally, pursuing every heart with the love of Jesus. We understand that our vision requires that we engage in it. It's one thing to have banners on the wall and statements on your bulletin. It's another thing to say, this is something that I'm engaged in and, and I've bought into and I own it. It becomes my own vision. Because we recognize that Christianity is the only religion where its followers are somehow given the opportunity to regulate the openness of the door to heaven by the level of engagement that we have in what God is accomplishing. We are part of the process of seeking and saving the lost. And we understand that requires our engagement. And then we also talked last week about our vision is activated uh, as, as we engage, our vision activates our faith and our courage. And so regardless of whatever personality traits you may have, there's a part of it that it is activated in your courage and faith as you begin to join in what God is doing. Today I want to share with you and introduce to you our mission statement. And it is this. Our mission is to be God's people, living in God's power, fulfilling God's purpose. To be God's people, living in God's power, fulfilling God's purpose. And today as I launch into this, I'm going to let you know that today we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be God's people. Because when we can grasp that, what it means for us to be God's people, then we can launch into the values and live those out well, which we'll be talking about next week. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn, whether it be your electronics, since you've already got your phones up because you're all now friends on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> And uh, for those of us that are still learning that terminology, we're, we're going to get better at it and better at it. But I'm going to ask that you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. God's word states this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Heavenly Father, as we begin to engage with what we believe is your desire for us, the, the mission of the church, how we fulfill the vision, I ask that there would be the unction of your Holy Spirit that would tap each of us on the shoulder and invite us into the various levels of, of being able to do your work. Father, today I pray that as we examine what does it mean to be God's people, that you would begin to reveal to each of us individually exactly how we are to live this out. And I pray this, that you would grant to us the anointing of your Holy Spirit to understand and to activate the faith and courage that you desire of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. For some of you that have attended church any length of time, you know that I have told stories that when I was 16 years old, I was 4 feet 11 inches tall, and I weighed 78 pounds. I was a massive human being. In fact, when I went to take my driver's test, 
the instructor looked at me and cursed. That was really encouraging, by the way. I was always the shortest person in my class. In fact, growing up in Nebraska, when the shortest person always got the joy of holding the sign that says who the teacher was and, and what grade you were in. So I was the easiest one to find because for 12 years I held the sign. Being little had, had some advantages. I, I loved sports and I was pretty good at them, but there was one sport, however, that that caused my self-esteem to take some repeated hits as a kid, and that is a, the game of basketball. Uh, I can clearly recall times in elementary school and junior high when we would get to basketball season and we'd come to the gym, and the coach would say, okay, boys, it's time to line up against the wall. We're going to choose teams for basketball. And I knew that unless by some miracle of God that the coach would choose me to be the captain... I was going to be standing by the wall for a while because I was not going to be a high draft pick by the champions in our class. And so I knew the drill, and I would stand there because people knew that at my size, I couldn't box out a paper clip. Uh, I also uh, understood that at my size, I built the self-esteem of everybody else because every shot I would make would get blasted out of the gym and blocked. It, just, it was just not a gifting that I had. And so I knew the drill. Generally, the last two people against the wall were me and Carl. I was short and skinny. Carl was on the opposite end of the body max uh, index. Uh, Carl... Carl, when he was selected, and I don't recall through the years that Carl ever ran the length of the gym once. Uh, when Carl was selected, wherever he took up space was where he was going to stay. Uh, Carl and I became friends through the years because we spent so much time standing next to each other against the wall waiting to be chosen. And... Uh, Generally, we, we recognized that we were the scrubs, and at the end, it was going to come down to, okay, you take Carl, we get Doug. Now, I have to admit to you that being selected in that way did not necessarily just build great sense of, of how great you were. There, there was very little fanfare or enthusiasm when you got down to Carl and Doug for the basketball team. And so I take, I take great joy in, in knowing that while... I was one that had to wait against the wall to be chosen, that there are others. And how many of you have ever experienced that, where you just, you just know, you know what, I'm going to be sitting against the wall for a while. Any of you ever experienced, I'm in a room full of champions. I'm, <laughs> I'm so proud of you all. So there's a verse in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that really begins to speak to me of my value and your value as it relates to, to God and his choices and how he chooses early when he says this for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be blameless and holy I love that before the game even began that God already chose me that before the game even began before the world was created he had already selected you as a high draft choice for his team by the way, since, since we're gearing up for our, our kids' camp, our VBS, I, I need you to know this. Carl and I spent so much time waiting to be chosen against the wall through the years that we became really, really good friends. 
In fact, Carl was the one person that I invited to our church's VBS, and I had the chance, the first person I ever led to Jesus Christ was Carl. First person. And so there was a reason that we spent so much time not being chosen, because God was choosing us for another team. And so we give thanks to that. And today you're going to have a chance at the end of the service to pray for other people like Doug and Carl. Uh, as we believe God's going to do something. So our mission is to be God's people, living in God's power and fulfilling God's purposes, knowing that he chose us early. If you have your bulletin, there's an outline there, and the first point is what defines us as God's people? What defines God's people? And I want to paint a very clear picture for you, one that I think should be encouraging to us. First of all, God's people are blessed people. How many of you are going through a situation in your life right now that you just, you need to know that God is with you? There's several hands. How many of you have also experienced God blessing you in ways that you never experienced or thought that he would? There's more hands. Hallelujah. God's people, as we begin to understand who we are, we must understand that we are a blessed people. There are some blessings and privileges that distinguish Christ followers from those who are not. And some of those may be listed for us in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. It says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what I would like you to do if you're taking notes, I want to just list for you seven blessings that accompany being God's child and this may start for you a list that you can just keep going but I just want to share some of these with you the first blessing is the blessing of security we don't have to live in fear because of what's going on in the political world around the world thankfully we are citizens of another kingdom and because of that our security is not going to be shaken or any more greater because of the decisions made by mankind because the decision of Christ was before the foundation of the world. He chose us to be in his kingdom and he's at work in such a way that our security is not wrapped up in what we see and hear going on around us. Oh, hallelujah, that we are blessed to be a part of his kingdom. So we're not to fear because we enjoy the security of sonship as a blessed people. Secondly, we have the blessing of authority. We don't have the status of a slave, but the scripture says clearly we have the authority of family, of the sonship. The children of God are given authority over sin and the devil. They are to move about in the world knowing that this authority belongs to their father, and as a result of that, there should be a confidence and a poise about us. Now, I'm not saying that we need to walk around with our chests puffed out with great pride, but I am saying that as a result of knowing who we are and knowing what our Father is about, that there should be a confidence and a poise that accompanies us in the way that we live life and the way that we face things and in the way that we speak to people. Because we're not of this world, the blessing of that results that we have an authority because we know we can go to the Father in anything. Thirdly, we have an intimacy with God the Father. Abba, 
was an Aramaic term which to us today would probably be best translated in our vernacular as daddy. Now, we don't live in a day and age around here, at least not that I know of, where your children come up to you and say, Father, I just want to speak to you today. You know, we, we live in, I, I've heard your kids run through the hall. They're yelling, Daddy, or Dad, or Hey, Pop. You know, there's, there's this, this familiarity that, that is related to the way children speak to their father, and it's there because of the intimacy that relates in the familiarity that they have with him. And so we've been given this intimacy with the father that we can call him dad or papa or daddy, this intimacy that's reflected in the way that we respond to him. And that is how we can approach the all-powerful creator of the universe who sustains every atom in existence moment by moment, and he says, you can be intimate with me. Then there's the blessing of assurance. The scripture says the spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, the part of the Trinity of the Godhead that is implanted within each of us at the moment that we are converted testifies, works on the inside to tell us the very thing that everything on the outside is telling you is wrong. So there's an inward witness of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that we feed by our praise, that is constantly at battle with everything on the outside telling you who you aren't. And so thankful that he that is within us is greater than he that's in the world. And so the inward testimony is more powerful than the outward pressure. And we have that assurance that comes along with that relationship as a blessed people. The fifth thing is that we have an inheritance. It says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs. This means that we have an incredible future. In more ancient times, the firstborn son was the heir, And depending upon how many brothers or sisters that he may have, he would have been given the vast majority of the inheritance so that the power and the influence of the name and the resources that have been accumulated would not be diminished by dividing them up too many times. And so a great family kept its influence intact by having the oldest son take care of everybody else. And so when we look at the scripture, there is a breathtaking turn that then calls all of us as Christians as heirs of God. I want you to think about that for a moment. This is a miracle because the heir gets the lion's share of the wealth. And Paul is saying that what is in store for us is so grand and so glorious that we will not be able to fully grasp or understand it. But what we do know is that each of us have a great future Because we will inherit the glory and the wealth of God the Father. Then there's another one that's a blessing that, however, many of you may not consider it to be so, but it's called the discipline of the Father. And some of you quit writing. Being loved by the Father and being in relationship with the Father requires that there be some discipline because it introduces a milder form of pain in order to teach or mature the child away from behavior that will lead to far greater pain. A good father lovingly disciplines his children and we should consider it a blessing when he does so. Then there's something called family likeness. Cindy and I had the opportunity to have some friends from Rochester that have three little boys come to our house yesterday and 
And uh, as they entered in and, and joined in the activities with our grandchildren, there was a level of chaos that only you who work with preschoolers may understand. But I remember I got a chance to hold the, the six-month-old, and, and the first thing I did is I'm looking at this little boy, and, and I look at his mom, and I begin to recognize he must look an awful lot like his father. And this is what we do when there are children born. We look at them, you know, I mean, they could still be having the battle pains of birth, and they're, oh, man, you, you look like your dad. And then we pray that every little girl, oh, Jesus, please let her look like her mother. Um, but there's this likeness that comes around as a result of being a blessed people. And, and, and it said that we are to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that, we, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so though we are adopted into the family, God actually implants Christ's nature in us as sons of God so that we can re resemble by nature and character Jesus more and more. We bear the family likeness in character and attitudes. We are a blessed people. Also, God's people are a chosen people. He calls them a chosen people. Peter uses this terminology commonly and in reference to Israel. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 to 6, he says this about Israel. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. In the same way that Israel was called to be God's people on earth and to be witnesses for him, the church, now that we are in the new covenant, now that Christ has done his work on the cross and has redeemed us and has adopted the church now is his chosen people. It doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else. It means that we have accepted the invitation to be part of his family. And the choosing is totally a work of God's grace. This is what Paul says. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then he says, and here's the reason why. For the praise of his glorious grace. You and I can take no credit whatsoever for being chosen. All we can do is take with a heart filled with praise. And it's why we worship. It's why we praise. It's why he inhabits the praises of his people. For just the fact God is graceful. And he is merciful, and we have accepted the joy of being chosen. He goes on to say this, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Part of being God's people in this is he said, he puts together a terminology that I want to just spend just a few minutes to bring some description to because it's a fascinating study. He says that we are a royal priesthood. How many of you have ever read that before? Let me give you the full meaning of this thing. You see, the, the Jewish believers, when they told that they were a royal priesthood, for that audience, they would have stopped for a moment, and this would have stood out because they understood this. In the Old Testament, the monarchy, the royalty... And the priesthood, that which was holy and sanctified, those were completely, strictly separated offices. They would have known that the priesthood came from the line of Aaron through the tribe of Levi and that only those who were in the priestly tribe of Levi could ever go into the temple to offer sacrifices. It was only them that could go in and, and, and pray and seek the Lord on behalf of the people and everybody else would have to stand in the outer courts. In addition, they would have known that in the royalty side of that, 
that the king of Israel was specifically anointed with oil by the priest. And, and as you look at that in the Old Testament, that he took oil and literally poured it over the head of those who were being set aside to be royalty or to be the kings of Israel. And so the priest's job was to signify and anoint. The king's job was to lead and battle. But these were completely, strictly separated roles. In fact, as you look through the history of the Old Testament, there were times when there were those who were anointed for royalty that tried to begin to act as if they were also anointed for the priesthood, and it was a tremendously damaging thing to them. We know that King Saul was anxious to go to battle, and instead of waiting for the priest Samuel to come and offer sacrifices to the Lord, he decided to do it himself. He felt proud enough that I know that I am the royalty and the priesthood is a separate thing, but I am going to step into that role and do it himself. And we know because he didn't wait that Saul was judged for trying to merge the king and royalty aspect of his nature with the priesthood, which was not his. We also know in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, a king named Uzziah. And he had become very successful, and therefore he had become very prideful. And he felt that because he was such a good king, and he was so great that he could enter into the temple and begin to burn incense, which was specifically the work of the priesthood. The priests gathered together and confronted him, and they told him, You will not be blessed by the Lord because you have been unfaithful. King Uzziah became angry at this, and he reached out to burn the incense, which was a job that was not his, and instantly leprosy broke out on his head because God had judged him. And when he stepped down from being the king, he passed it on to his son, but he died a leper. Therefore, for the New Testament church to hear the terminology, royal priesthood in one word brought together no longer separated but in one place that they were then being called that themselves it would have been something that would have caught their attention royal priesthood you see the root the role of the believer as a joint heir with christ in his kingship because we know that Jesus brought these roles together. He tore the temple curtain from the top to the bottom, opened up the court. He became the high priest for all of us. And we also know that the Bible says he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so in Jesus we find the role. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king all in one person. So in the role that we have as believers, who are we as believers? The Bible says that we are a royal priesthood, things that they couldn't do in the Old Testament. We get to do because in Christ we bring these things together. So under the role of Christ in kingship, we see that we have a measure of authority that should be present within our lives, especially in the areas of ministry. And we see this in the Great Commission as Christ sends his disciples out to minister in authority. And he says this, all authority has been given to me, therefore make disciples. In other words, the authority of the role of king I'm giving to you, so I want my people to walk in authority. As we are looking at the mission of the church, I believe strongly that God wants his church to rise up and recognize that we are not the weaklings that the world tells us we are. That we are not helpless that the world tells us we are. They look at people of faith and think that there's something wrong with us. I want you to know if you have faith, something is right with you today because we walk in the authority of the king of heaven who says, I am sending you out in my authority to make disciples. 
also in the authority or the, or the royalty of Christ, we understand that in that kingship aspect, the royal part of it, we know that a king's job is to make war, to go out and battle, go to battle, to gather the kingdom and to grow it. Last week we talked a little bit about what that means as we looked at, at the passage of Scripture in Matthew 16, 18 when Jesus says, I will build my church. And then he begins to add that the kingdom of hell will take a defensive posture. He says, and their gates will not be able to stand against a marching army of God anointed for battle. You are a royal priesthood. And in the royalty of God, we march forward understanding that hell will retreat when the church marches. And we've had that backwards for so long. But as we get into the mission of the church, we must know that we are God's people fighting in his authority. But I also want you to know that in Ephesians 6, it talks very clearly that we as a royal priesthood must put on the full armor of God. So many people want to go do battle without the preparation. We need to know that every day we must be in the Word. If this is all the food you're going to get on a spiritual basis in a week, you're in deep trouble because daily you need to put on the full armor because the battle will not be easy, but the battle belongs to the Lord, and we are His armor bearers and go forward in Him. So prepare for battle, church. So that's the royal side of the priesthood, but then there's the priesthood side. We're called priests. So what is the role of the believer as a co-heir with Christ in priesthood? First of all, we need to know that it means that we have an intimate relationship with God. The priest represented to the people the door by which they could begin to be in contact with God. And they walked into his presence of God once a year on the Day of Atonement. And no other person could do that. The fact of the matter is that because of what Christ has done, we can walk into the presence of the Lord anytime, any day, any moment. The moment we want to be with him, all we have to do is call his name because he's as close as the mention of his name. Then he says this, in preparation for battle, my people who are coming in intimacy meeting me need to understand that you must pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. I love the broadness of that when the Lord says, I will prepare you by the Spirit, but you need to learn to pray in the Spirit with all kind of prayers because the needs of our world will be so vastly different than the needs of individuals, but you have the authority to pray in the Spirit and affect all of them. Not only did the priests have to pray for people, but the nation of Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests, and by virtue of our relationship with God, we as the church are a kingdom of of priests to our community and to our world. Wherever God has placed you, in this nation or in a workplace or in the church or in a school or in a university or in a family, these are to be places that you intercede for. You are to intercede for the leaders to make godly decisions, for strongholds to be broken, and for the light of the gospel to go forward. But I need you to know this. Prayer is hard work. Prayer is hard work. I've, I've seen people when they were asked, what is your spiritual gift? And they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual intercessor. I am a prayer warrior. And people look at them like, oh, that's not a big deal. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. 
If you are a prayer warrior, you know what it's like to be interrupted in the middle of a daily schedule when the Spirit calls on you and says there's a battle breaking out and I need your support right now. You know what it's like to be woken up in the middle of the night and with a burden that you can't get off your mind or heart until you begin to fall by your bedside and cry out for whoever it is or whatever's going on. You know what it's like not to have a burden lifted until the victory has come. Prayer warrior is hard work and we need all we can get. And that, as a nation of priests, are what we are called to be. Priests were also called to teach the people. We specifically see this in Ezra who devoted himself to study, teaching the law of God. And we see it in the New Testament when he told us that we are to go and make disciples by teaching them everything Christ has commanded. Don't be afraid to talk about the word of God wherever you go and to teach people in the wisdom of it. A believer's job is to learn the Bible, to never let it depart from your mouth, to talk about it at dinner, to talk about it at work. It's the reason that you've been chosen is so that you can be salt and light to the work. You as a follower of Christ have been chosen to be a royal priesthood. You minister with authority. You fight the battles of the kingdom. You of all people have an intimate relationship with the Father. You intercede for people. You teach them God's word. And we have the the responsibility and the joy of being royal priests together because of Christ Jesus and what he's done. In order for Grace Assembly to accomplish our mission, we must first understand what it means to be God's people and to walk in his authority because of his kingship and to walk in his power because of his priesthood that he has given to each of us. But what it comes down to is this. God's people must accept the invitation to be chosen. At the beginning of the message, I told you about a process of being chosen for a basketball team. There's two parts to that. Because no matter how long the process of being chosen lasted, at some point before the day was over with, I was on a team. And I had to leave the wall and play the game. I had to leave the wall and play the game. The Bible is filled with accounts of people who God told them, I need you to leave the wall and get in the game, that didn't think they were capable, that didn't think they were able to play a significant role in God's game plan. I conclude with this one in Exodus 3, and you don't have to turn to it because I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it, but... God and Moses were having a serious discussion and God had showed his presence in a burning bush. Moses had taken his shoes off and he's standing there facing this bush and God begins to speak to him. And in the undeniable presence of God, Moses still had this fear inside of him. Because God began to reveal his plan to Moses and Moses objected to God. And Moses sounds very human because it would be something that each of us would do is we would begin to go through a litany of excuses why it shouldn't be us that he's choosing. Moses goes through his lack of credentials to his stuttering problem and then God begins to speak and just knock the props out of every excuse and so finally Moses gets to this point where he simply says, Who am I? Who am I? But that was the wrong question. And I think sometimes we've been in that situation where we're feeling a prompting of the Lord and we're, we're going, 
can I give you a list of other people to approach that can do this great? And God's going, no. But, but who am I? He says it's not about who you are. It's about whose you are. I believe that one of God's greatest joys is to take people who have been battling spiritual insecurity issues and say, step off the wall, get into the game, and watch what I do for my glory in you. He doesn't choose the proudful. He doesn't always choose the champions. Sometimes he chooses the Carls and the Dugs. Sometimes he chooses those who he says, when I use you, people will stand back and recognize how great of a God I am, not how great of a basketball player you are. And there's something to be said for a church that's entering into a mission. Because God looked at him after all of his excuses and he's going, who am I? And God says, all that you need to know is this, I am who I am. I'm going to declare to you who I am because that's all that's going to matter. I just need somebody to show up, get off the wall, get in the game and show up and let me do something through you. And God reveals all of his insecurities and says, here's my name and I offer you this reassurance. Moses, I will be with you. So church, here we go. And as we desire to pursue the mission of the church, that's all we really need to know is who God is. He is all we need, and he needs us just to show up so that he can do some work. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? God plus one equals a supermajority. His name is the solution to every problem. His name is the answer to every question. His name calms every fear, seals every prayer, and wins every battle. His name, when it is mentioned, the angels will bow down and the demons begin to shake with fear. At his name, our sin is vindicated and our authority is validated. It's not about who you are. It's not about what you think that you can do. It's not about what you bring to the table. Because then honestly, you're absolutely irrelevant in your giftings because God doesn't use us because of us. He uses us in spite of us so that he's the one that is elevated. But for reasons that will only be revealed to us on the other side of space, God has chosen us as his church to accomplish his mission in the world. And it's through ordinary people that extraordinary things are accomplished. Why does he do that? because he loves to be in co-mission with his children. So he invites us into his plans and purposes, but you have to leave the wall. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning. Do all of you have a card? I hope all of you have a card. If you don't, would you raise your hand? And We want to make sure that everybody has a card. Every family that's represented has a card. There's some, some hands up. We will wait. Because I'm inviting you into the royal side of your nature today to go to battle in the spirit for kids. My card says, Talasia, six years old. I don't know what your card says, but I don't know this little girl yet, but I'm going to find her. It, it, it might not be a girl, but I think it is. Just whoever this person is, I'm going to find them. Because in the mission of Grace Assembly, we have determined 
that our neighborhood matters and that children matter. I know because of some of the calls that we have had that there are some parents who are looking for opportunities to farm their kids out as often as they can. They want them in every VBS that's going. They don't care if it's the same one six weeks in a row. They just, they just want them there. And you know what? I want those kids. I stated before, dad chooses the car, mom chooses the house, kids choose the church. Kids choose the church. Because if the kids are happy there, the parents will be pestered until they get them back there. And some of you are in Christ today because your kids made you come. (laughs) Every name is an open door to a family. Some of the families that these kids are coming from need a touch of God on their lives. And these children, I'm a product. I am a product of children's ministry. So in just a moment, we're going to lift these cards before the Lord, and we're going to start being the prayer warriors that we need to be because this is an open door to households and homes and lives that God is giving to you. As Pastor Mark mentioned at the very beginning, I'm going to ask that you at least once a day would pray for the name of the child that's on that card. Some of them go to our church. They need prayer too. Some of them don't. They need prayer too. But this is our way that we start the mission. God, you've given me a name, and I am going to battle heaven for that name. This little girl is going to, is going to be surrounded by the presence of God who, with his battling angels, are fighting on her behalf because her soul is at stake. And we as a church are in the mission of seeking, pursuing, saving those who are lost. Before I go to prayer, I want to do this. If there are any of you here today who say, you know what, I, I need a touch from God, would you just raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? I want you to look around you, and if there's somebody close by, I want, I want men grab, stand next to another man who has their hand up. Women look around, if there's a, a woman with their hand up, would you find somebody nearby? I don't want anybody whose hand is up that, that doesn't have somebody standing nearby with a hand on their shoulder. There's, there's two in the back back here that we need. There's a young lady back here. Find them. Leave your seats. This is, we're the church. You Nobody's going to take your seat between now and the time we close. Let's be the church. Everybody that has a hand up, somebody touching them. While you have a hand on them, I want you to lift the name of this child before the Lord so that we can pray today. Hallelujah. Lord, we come in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we recognize that from before the time the game even began, you have chosen us. And you've chosen these children to be here this week. And so, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that every child that's represented on one of these cards would be surrounded by battling angels and that we move them as we begin to pray. We are royal today and we come in the authority of the king making a battleground for the souls of this community one child at a time, oh God. We pray, Lord, that every name that is listed on these cards would have somebody praying for them, going to battle for them in prayer, in the spirit and in every other way that we might see you do mighty works through Pastor Julie and her team this week, oh God. Lord, it's the mission of the church to be God's people, to pursue locally, to globally, every heart for the love of Jesus Christ. 
And we do not want to be slacking in the mission that you've called us to. And so, Lord, we lift these cards before you and ask that though it's only a card, it represents a soul. And I claim them in the spirit in the name of Jesus, O oh God. I pray your blessing on every home. And if there are moms and dads and brothers and sisters that live in this home that do not know you, may the influence of your great grace spread and transform the whole house through the lives of these children. Father, for those that raise their hand today that find themselves in need, we also come in the name of Jesus. You have given your church authority. And so in that authority, we speak and ask that you bring healing for your namesake, that you give direction for your namesake. Lord, we hold no authority other than what you have given to us, but you have given it to us, and so we use your name in prayer and in power that your name may bring others to the kingdom. And so, Father, we ask all these needs to be met by your great and mighty power as we walk in the royalty and the authority of God. And then, Lord, as we act as priests this week, praying, may we see that we are a royal priesthood on mission for God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.